I'm Sarah Ann Macklin. I've been a model for nearly 15 years, so quite a while. And that led me on a journey to study nutrition. So I'm a registered nutritionist. Um, I practice on Harley Street in London. And I also have a not-for-profit organisation, which is a charitable initiative called the BY Collective. And that basically supports all models, but also everybody within the fashion industry with mental well-being, physical well-being. It's a huge collective of experts um, to support an industry that, for me, I've never felt has been supported in a positive way. This is Future Heist, conversations with people making change. My name is Rena Neve Smith. So tell me about being a nutritionist then. How, what first made you interested in nutrition and how did you get into that? Okay, so I scouted when I was 15 and I did my A-levels and it was all quite artistic. I always wanted to be a photographer, so I never was good at science. Um, and wanted to be a photographer when I was 18 and I did my A-levels, I moved to London. And I was really lucky, I had a great career. And by 21, I was in New York, living in New York. And, you know, I always knew I wanted to go to university, but because I was in, a, in the modeling industry, working with the biggest fashion photographers of all time, everyone was like, you're a bit mad to kind of leave that world, go to university, study photography, and then go back into trying to get work within the industry. So, but during that time, my love for photography was still there, but I realized actually, it's really hard gig to be a fashion photographer. You've got to be an assistant for like 10 years, and you don't earn any money, and you know, it's hard. And I just kind of, the, the, the dream world that I'd thought of fashion photography was, was disheveled a little bit. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and then when I lived in New York, I, found myself living in a model apartment and that's where you kind of just put into one apartment and there could be 10 beds in one room. That was the first one. Tiny little kitchen and a bathroom between 10 girls. As you can imagine, it's absolute mayhem. And I am a girl of home comforts and, you know, I like things the way they are. And I, you know, and I think I, I didn't realize I had anxiety, but I think I started getting bad anxiety and was trying to move around and trying to find my own two feet. and. During this, once I, when I was living in New York, there was also this massive boom of, you know, well-being. There was something called Soul Cycle that had opened up, which was a spin class to music, and Whole Foods was at the end of my road, and I was like, wow, I'm used to kind of like Tesco, you know, what is this place? And I was just unleashed this whole new kind of world, and everybody went to brunch, and I'd come back here and be like, should we go to brunch? And everyone was like, what does that word even mean? Like, what is brunch? Nowhere did brunch. It was all roast dinners. Oh, wow. And That's I remember, changed now. It's so different. And I remember being in this really, like, two kind of parallel worlds. And I was like, I'm really enjoying, actually, for the first time getting into fitness and doing it. You know, it was nothing to do with weight loss. I, I used to be a dancer for many years. So the soul cycle had all the music and you dance on your bike. And I was like, this is really fun. Um, and I kind of ventured into this whole new world of different foods. But what I also saw at that time was not many people around me had the best eating patterns. There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of depression. There was so much anxiety. And don't forget, this was like nearly 10 years ago. No one really talked about mental health then. I massively suffered with loneliness. Um, had no idea that was even a thing you could suffer from. You know, because back home in London and in England, I had a family that loved me and great friends. But, you know, when you're kind of put on your own, 
you don't really work through these processes, you don't really understand. And I wasn't really emotionally mature enough to understand. So I was kind of going these two parallels. And I just remember a lot of my friends, you know, struggling with so many things. And you have your agents there, but they don't guide you to work with food or to work with your mental well-being, because that's not what they do. Um, and so I was like, do you know what? I need to kind of help my... I just felt really lost. And I was like, I kind of need to help myself. But also, I really want to help a lot of my friends. Like, It's weird. We were in a bubble, and we were all suffering like it. So because I knew it wasn't just me, you kind of then normalise it, and you think, oh, this is fine. We're all meant to be like nervous mental wrecks. Um, and actually reading a lot through food, and I've always loved cooking, I realised that actually there's so much that food can do to help you. And I was unleashed into this whole new world in America that kind of hadn't come to London. And I just called my mum randomly, and I do, I do remember saying to her, so they've been looking at nutrition courses online, and she was like, you and science. And I was, and it wasn't like she kind of ever disbelieved me, but she was like, that's never been what you've been passionate about. And I was like, yeah, but I love food. But she's like, yeah, but nutrition is like biochemistry, Sarah. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And she was like, are you sure that you want to do this? And I was thinking, well, well, I don't know, maybe I should. So I started off, instead of going straight into a degree, I kind of did H&D for two years through Oxford. And then I was like, actually, I really like it. I mean, it was very hard. And I locked myself in the library every day and it was self-study and I remember finding that really difficult but going on this massive journey and actually being like there was something else to modeling but it was also helping my modeling it was helping me understand what my body you know and when I, I got through that I then decided to enroll in my bachelor of science and had a panic attack in the first week in a biochemistry lesson and I was like I can't do this I had to present a big presentation in six weeks time to professors and I was like oh, I can't do this um, and then actually I kind of talked myself down and just put my head down and that's really how my nutrition journey started. And it was through that that I really helped myself understand about eating and, you know, helping my friends understand about eating and just speaking to those girls from the agency. And obviously I wasn't qualified, but I was learning by that point. And that's really where it all started. And during that time of transition, the transition, because we're always a couple of years behind New York and LA, started to come here. And, you know, there was kind of juice bars popping up and exercise classes like boutique exercise classes popping up and I was very much aware of that because I was living in London and I'd kind of seen it in New York so I was like oh there's a place that sells eggs at 11 we must go and so you know all of this kind of started unraveling and the change of lifestyle started unraveling but I do remember everyone saying to me within the fashion industry Sarah science and fashion will never go together and I was like well we need to make science sexy and it's going to happen and you know and generally like we have to look after our bodies and we have to look after our health and Nutrition to me, like if we're not fueling your body correctly, it will break down. Um, and so I just had this really strong belief that, you know, it would and it would transition and people would want to look after their health. And lo and behold, that's kind of where the journey started. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into nutrition, really. It was a, wasn't kind of like I woke up one day and was like, right, this is what I'm going to do. It was a natural But it was more of a self, ex I kind of self-exploratory way and just being in the environment that I was in. And... You know, I'm originally from a little town in Hampshire and kind of coming to London and that then opened a whole new field world to me. I lived in Brixton, I was around Jet Chicken and then I moved to, which I'd never had, you know, I was kind of meat and two veg, that's how I grew up. And then went to New York and there was this whole other world that opened up and I was like, wow, there's so much I, I kind of haven't ever been aware of. Mm. Um, and that's kind of ended up what leading me to my passion, mm. which I loved um, and realising you don't need to deprive yourself.
And then, then you set up the Be Well Collective, which is a platform to help models and anti-say people in the fashion industry in, in so many ways in, in, terms of their, yeah. in terms of their mental health. How was it for you as a model starting out in that industry? You were very young when you were scouted. How was it in terms of mental health and well-being? Yes, yeah, so I was. Do you know, I was actually scouted first when I was 13. My mum never told me. Um, and then it's not until I went to a pop concert in uh, near where I lived, down on the south coast, that I was spotted again by a few different agents. And I was always like, don't, my mum's always told me, don't talk to strangers. And I remember them being like, I'm like Kate Moss's agent, you know, I'm Elizabeth Hurley's agent. And I was like, God, they could just be saying that. And then I told my mum about the agencies and she was like, oh, I've got something to tell you from a few years ago. And I was like, what? Um, and so I was like, how have you not told me? She was like, we well, were just so young. So I think, I was lucky in the fact that I had parents that were very focused on education as opposed to modelling. But I did have a brother working in the fashion industry. So he was obviously like, oh, this is amazing. He's 10 years older, so he was already living in London. So I actually went up and saw some scouts um, and I got signed. But they, it was, it was a learning process. You know, My mum said, I don't want Sarah to kind of go straight into modelling. I really want her to do her A-levels. And that was kind of our pack. She said, you can be signed to an agency but you have to do your A-levels. So I don't feel like I was chucked in at such a young age. First of all, I still lived at home. I was 16, I was going to college. I had a normal couple of years, but then every now and again, I'd go up to London and shoot Burberry or something. And you were like, this is so strange. And then I'd be back working in Burton, Saturday and Sunday, earning like two pound 10 an hour. I think it's what I was doing. And so I never actually knew what I was earning in campaigns or in anything, because it would go through my mum and she'd put it in a separate bank account. So all I knew that I was probably earning about 60 quid a month working in Burton's. And then there was a serendipity moment when I was in Burton's and I did the Miss Alfridge campaign, which was which I loved when I was 16. And I was like opposite. And there was like these big boards of me outside. And then also next door was Jack Wills. And then I did the Jack Wills campaign and there was massive boards and then VHS. And I was like on this massive billboard in Portsmouth, but I was working. Opposite in Burton, being like, can I open your account for you today, sir? And all my friends in Burton were like, that cat really looks like you. And I was like, she does, doesn't she? Because I didn't want to tell anyone. Oh, wow. So no one knew that mm-hmm. I was modelling. Social media wasn't around then, so it's mm-hmm. not like you could kind of see where somebody was. Um, so it was this really weird couple of years where I kind of never fully acknowledged that I was modelling. And it's not until I was put into a magazine that I had my name in an interview with me. But all my friends in college were like, have you got something to tell us? And I was like, um, yes. Um, and so then I ended up obviously telling everyone, but you're at that age where you just don't know if people will reject you or girls will get bitchy and all those kind of things. So I kind of just carried on my life. And then it's not until I knew I was 18 that I just moved straight to London, finished my A-levels. And then two weeks I was like, right, I'm going to London. And I'd saved my own money to know I could pay some rent for a few months. So that's, I think, when it started to get hard for me, because until then I was, you know, in a normal routine. And you do go into a world where you're like, I've got this much money and if I don't work, how will I earn money? And, you know, it's not one of those jobs where you can kind of get a Saturday job because you could be called at any point. Um, but it, I, was, I was really lucky in the way that it just took off. But then you are thrown into this mad world, like you're off to LA, you're off to South Africa, you're off to Singapore, and you're like, it is completely different from the world that I grew up in. And it's great. It was great for me at the beginning because it was it was like, yes, 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 just as confirmed. But it's when your options start going, or maybe not. 
Or, you know, for me, I was never the fashion week girl. I was always the girl that got the jobs and the money jobs. I was never kind of, you know, I'd go to shows and I'm not 5'10", I'm, you know, 5'8 and a half, 5'9". And I, they're like, oh, she's always a little bit too short. But then I did get some great shows. But then you see these other girls and you're like, oh, I really want to do that. And so, But those girls would be like, I want to be a commercial girl and I want to earn what you earn. So it's this really weird kind of untangling this modelling world where you have to do test shoots, get your book together, and I couldn't understand why that had to happen, you know, and you work for free. And there was a lot of learning curves that I had to kind of go through with modelling. Um, and then a, a big one for me was just being on my own. I kind of felt at 18, all my friends were at uni and making their friends for life there. And I never kind of had that. I never kind of had that time where I was making my own friends. You're making friends in the industry, but you know, within the industry, people don't stay in this career forever. People stay in it for a couple of years, it might work, it might not work, then they leave. And so that real core friend group, I think I really missed. Um, and I think that's a really big thing of when you kind of come to modeling, you are into an amazing world and I would actually never regret anything I ever did. And I actually grasp every opportunity. But at the same time, as a teenager and as you're developing, like mentally, it's, 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 it's tough, you know? You're kind of always told that you're not good enough or you're rejected or you're amazing, you're gonna be the next model and then you have this hope. And so it's very disjointed in that way and you kind of just have to try and process it on your own. And you can't really speak to anyone about it because no one's in that position, you know? And you don't really want to complain because you should feel really lucky. So you're kind of just trying to figure it out when you're 18 of like, you know, okay, well, I, I am on my own again and I am living in a suitcase and I am with a crew who don't speak any English and sit at dinner and speak in German the whole time. You know, and you, it's hard as you're, as you're young, but again, then you're in an amazing opportunity. So it's a, it is, I don't know if it's different today with kids starting because you have social media, which I think is harder, but I think the industry has changed. People are a lot more open now and it's a lot more kind of, you wouldn't be able to get away with things as much as you did 10 years ago in the fashion industry. Mm. You have to kind of be a lot more aware of that of that person, that individual mm -hmm. who's a model. Yeah. I think that's something that's definitely changed, whereas that wasn't really a thing when I was younger. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like, I guess that's why I started the Be Well. It's to kind of give some kind of foundation to those kids that they can turn to, that there's some kind of support that you're not just completing your own. And actually it's okay to not be okay. Yes, you might feel like you're in a privileged position and you can't actually complain, but every single person is a human. Even the biggest pop star goes through, you know, bad spells of feeling alone and, you know, worrying about their mental health and they then feel that they can't say anything because yeah. they're meant to be superhuman and no one's superhuman. Everyone has feelings and if you're judged every day and your whole, everything is about how you look, you know, and you feel like you've got a time span to, to get that into, it's not like a career where you go to university and then you build on your career and you know that within 20 years you'll get to where you want to be. It's kind of the opposite with modelling. you kind of got to grasp it and then it slowly starts to, to leave and then you're like, what do I do? Right. Yeah, it's, it's such a strange industry in many ways. And yeah. like you say, I think one of the challenges from what I've seen is that people go into it when they're very young and you just yeah. don't have life experience behind no. you to deal with things that for other people aren't a problem yeah. so things like traveling and loneliness and and I think the industry is changing but it's surprising how much still has to change I mean yeah. I still go to shows where in the backstage area the place where the models need to change is not 
screened yeah. off from yeah. strangers. And, yeah. you know, and there are still obviously reports coming out about all kinds of dark things. So it's so true. It's really funny because now I've kind of transitioned. I'm still modeling and but I've become a different kind of model now. You know, I kind of have a bit more of a voice and, you know, there's there's a story behind why I was modeling and why clients picked me. And I was <laughs> I was went to a press day the other day. And uh, Jasmine Hemsley was there. He's a friend of mine. And she used to be a model many years ago. And she's now hugely into cooking. And I'd say anyone who wants good recipes, she's an amazing person to go to. Um, and we were trying on things uh, in the showrooms. And I just, and they're like, oh, Sarah, go behind the screen. And I just strip off. And they're like, oh, my God, are you okay? Uh, uh, and I was like, oh, my God, I am just in this zone of, like, knowing that that's okay. And Jasmine went, it's because she's a model. And you know, and you're like, oh my goodness, actually, I just kind of get changed and I get naked. Most people were like, uh, do you want a screen or should we put something up? And I'm like, oh no, it's fine. And I've been like that since I was, you know, 18. And it's because you would just be stripped off backstage. And, you know, at the beginning, I remember feeling really self-conscious, but being like, you just have to deal with it. You know, it's, that's just how it is. And now I guess it's made me, in a way, it's made me much more freer about my body, which is probably a good thing. But also there's been like a massive struggle to get there. So it's it's true, you know, like actually, you know, you should be given some kind of privacy and privacy. Um, but it's just something that it was highlighted to me the other day. I was like, wow, I do literally just get naked because I'm so used to that being a, to being a model. Yeah. There's a lot of bad myths of the model industry though, isn't there? And, and mm. sort of if you uh, Google the model industry, the Daily Mail and titles like that are oh full God. of the kind yeah. of, oh, the horror stories. And there's been a lot of press about eating disorders and things like mm. that. So in terms of separating the, the myths from the reality, actually, what do you think are the most damaging myths? And do you think the industry does have the potential to change and go forward? Some of the myths are myths, some of them are true. But I think, you know, yes, there is eating disorders in this industry. But yes, there are eating disorders with dancers. There are eating disorders with bankers. There are eating disorders in a lot of my school friends that have never been in the modeling industry. But it's scrutinized this industry because it's something that they know that they can actually pull out because it's, you know, girls need to be a certain size. And like the truth of the reality is, and you'll know this from the, you know, from scouting girls and guys, they're scouted because of how they look at that time. They are naturally thin, they're naturally lean, um, they're naturally tall. That is how they are. Um, yes, they might go through changes in adolescence and puberty and getting to an adult, but when you scout them at that time, they are, that is how they are. And I think girls that can restrict their eating who are models can easily lose weight a lot quicker than other girls. So they are seen to be a lot thinner than your average person and that's not saying that's okay and that's normal but it's saying every industry I think has that I mean I have so many friends that have eating disorders and I'm now just about to qualify my master practitioner for eating disorders and so many women have it but I think it's because it's so heightened because we're the fashion industry it's the easiest thing to pull out of us and actually there's this, there's so many other things within the industry you know that are positive and you know, there are a lot of designers, I think, actually stepping up and saying, well, you know, maybe I don't want somebody that's that thin. And there always will, there always will be designers that want girls that look that thin. That's just never going to change. We have to accept it. I don't think there's any point pushing against it. I think you just have to kind of say, you know, we are where we are at the moment. 
as long as we make sure that those girls are looked after, which what I don't think has happened, I think it's just kind of been accepted. We've been trying to fight it. People have tried to bring in laws. I think that's the worst thing you can do is bring in a law. Really? Or bring in, yeah, I think they were trying to bring in a certain BMI. BMI is not measurable in weight in any way, shape or form. It, you know, you could be a really athletic person and be obese on a BMI scale, but you might have any fat mass. Like it's not a measurable way to look at body weight and that's now recognized. So trying to bring in a certain BMI is wrong. A lot of girls will naturally be under that because they're a model. I've always naturally been under a BMI, but it doesn't mean I'm not healthy. That's always been my, I've always been naturally small. You know, my mum used to take me to the doctor when I was younger and she was like, she eats so much, but why doesn't the weight stay on her? And it's like, the doctor was like, that is just her. Like not every single person in this world is gonna be the same shape and size. It's just how that person's body is. And I think, you know, trying to put on certain measurements, because I think you can see if a girl's ill. And I think that's when something needs to be stepped in. Um, but I think trying to make girls be a certain weight, they're just going to, that's then going to also then trigger another form of disordered eating because they're trying to make a weight. And then they try to maybe binge more or drink more water to put on the weight to get on the scales. And it then starts sending them into this other pattern. And it's like, can't we just take all restrictions off? Can't we just look at how mentally stable that person is? and actually how healthy they are, that is how we should be like stepping forward in the industry. And yes, if designers are gonna make certain, certain clothes, it's getting those girls to go, mentally, it's okay, that designer's not the right designer for me because my body shape isn't that body shape. And do you know what? That's okay. It's not about trying to get girls into that sample size or to try and make designers change it because ultimately, you know, that I don't think that's ever gonna happen. I think we just need to champion that we try and work with all the girls to make sure they are just healthy themselves. And if that changes, then maybe designers might start being like, actually, maybe I would want to make a size bigger. But you can't pressurise that person. You can't pressurise anyone to change how they feel. And maybe they start seeing positive changes and that's what makes them want to change. But, you know, I think we all go through waves. You know, the curve girls have come in and then they've kind of died down a little bit now. But Mark Jacobs are using a lot of curve girls. I mean, it's just... Thing is, anything that I worry about with all of this is trend. Like fashion is trend, and it goes through all different all different trends through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s to now. Trends are trends. Things will come in and out. It's just trying to get people to feel emotionally stable for where they are, and that what how they are is okay. And, and I think that's the biggest thing, accepting as a model. Mm. And probably as well to be able to distinct between what is a trend and what is reality. Yeah, it's like food. It's like fashion, food, fitness always going to have trends and you can never stop them mm. you know we don't know next year that you know at the moment in, in modeling i feel like diversity is a trend it shouldn't be a trend it should just be life it should just be fact you know we should just naturally have a mix of people we should naturally have a mix of body sizes we should naturally have a mix of tall people short people you know quirky people i mean that's just life generally in my eyes but we never get away from trends and i see it in fashion i see it in food i see it in fitness i see it in music um, and people just want to follow something. So I think it's just trying to actually get people to step away from that and go, do you know what? You're beautiful. You're healthy. You, you know, there's so many clients that will love you. Don't punish yourself. Because, yeah, you could punish yourself to fit into that trend. And I did this. I punished myself for many years to try and be as catwalk model and to try and actually be like, no, I really want to be high fashion. You know, and then I lost all my commercial clients. So it's like the grass is not always greener. And I think that's something that we try to show through the Be Well. I think that's really interesting about um, 
to thinking about the BMI, I mean, BMI is supposed to be this measurable thing. Yeah. But often I feel like we treat our bodies as if everyone's the same and everyone's yeah. got the same starting block. Yeah. I see it. I used to work in retail and people used to get really frustrated if the size on the clothes didn't match the size that was in their head. And I used to say to them, listen, the clothes are made in factories. People aren't like we're yeah. all, different. all different. And actually the sizes aren't even the same in yeah. all the shops anyway. So don't worry about it. You might still be a 12 somewhere else. It's just, you know, you might be a 14 in here, but it's not. Exactly. You know, it doesn't mean anything. And we're obsessed with numbers. We're obsessed with with measuring things and I suppose I also I totally agree with you in that fashion has this myth of eating disorders stemming from vanity I think mm. we've got this miscon I think in society and mm. in general we have a misconception that eating disorders stem from vanity and therefore mm. the fashion industry which is all about image must mm. be to blame mm. whereas actually when you when I've read about people with eating disorders and, and from what I understand it's often a much deeper mental health yeah. issue about control and about anxiety and there can be all kinds of people who suffer as you say and I suppose what also makes um what makes it difficult as well is the the competitive nature of modeling where yeah. you compare yourself to the catwalk models or you know if you're a catwalk model to the to the commercial models, which again is 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 a problem we have in society and in, in yeah. general. The competitiveness between women and oh, competitiveness yeah. between people, and and people look at these, you know, <clears throat> adverts and they think, oh, I, I wish I looked like that person. When going back to the the BMI thing, actually, maybe your body would never ever in a million years look like that. And what should really be encouraged is celebrating who we are naturally. It's so true. You know, the biggest <clears throat> thing that I've learned on this on my own self journey is, is comparison and to not compare yourself you know people will probably look at me and be like you know she's so strong and she's had a great career and I have so many insecurities you know I um, I suffer very really badly with anxiety you know I myself am a perfectionist so I always you know try to perfect everything I do and that's just not life and I've had to come to that realization that actually no I can't live my life through that way and it's okay to have flaws Every single person on this planet has a flaw. And I think it's taken me a long journey to accept that of myself and be self-accepting. And I think in the modeling industry, you can't be self-accepting, you know? You've just kind of got to, well, actually, let's just chop your hair and change your look. Oh, well, let's just try and drop you three inches. Oh, well, actually, let's go and buy you all these designer clothes because then clients know you're earning money and you'll be more likely to book a job. And you never really kind of self-accept yourself. You're always trying to change and adapt yourself to get a better job or to see some, or to, you know, prolong your career or to go and get another agency in another country and put on this facade. And I think that's what's been so a journey through me and a journey through a lot of models is that they never kind of self-explore themselves. And I think that's the same now with not just modeling, but in general day-to-day -day life, we compare ourselves on social media every day, like this person's got the perfect life. This person has the perfect relationship. Nobody suffers with mental health issues. People talk about it, but actually, you know, when they talk about it, they seem completely fine. I don't hear people break down when they're speaking about mental health. They tell them their journey and they say that they're really strong. But when do you really see people like break down? You don't. And I think this is the biggest thing. You know, there's so much pressure on us and comparison and especially with women. And I'm really lucky that I've built a group of women around me that inspire me every day that, you know, wants the best for themselves and the best for their friends and wants to make connections to do that and prolong that. And I think so many women fight against other women. And I just think that's a completely wrong way to look at things, that like we should all champion each other. Men seem to do it quite well. Women don't. Um, 
And I don't know what it is and why it is, but I think we should kind of be the biggest champions of each other and our biggest supporters because we are emotional creatures at the end of the day and we do think completely different to how men think. And I think we understand each other on a deeper level, but for some reason we always seem to fight against each other. And I think it should be about actually like taking that away and accepting flaws and accepting other people. And actually just the biggest thing is like having a positive mental attitude towards each other and not always like comparing yourself or I want to be like her or I want legs like her or I want to be as intelligent her as well red as her. You know, there's so many things that I would love to have improved in my life, but that's just not my strengths. And that's okay. And I think that's what people need to start accepting of themselves. Like you're not going to be everything. You know, and that's why some people are great in one area, some people are great in another area. And some people would just, just seem on the outside to be great in everything. Probably not, they're probably the most insecure person on this planet, you know? But they look great and they are so successful, but they're probably really battling with something. You just don't know. And I think when you start going through that own self journey, which modeling can skew because you're kind of in a bubble. Um, and I think it happens to models a lot later on. It happened to me a lot later on going through a self journey. But I think that's one thing that I think that applies to everybody. Absolutely. But what a self journey, because Be Well Collective seems like a fantastic platform for filling a big gap that exists in the model industry yeah. and offering a really diverse range of, yeah. of experiences and, and experts experts and everything. There's nutrition, there's hypnotherapy, there's sound baths, there's yeah. fitness. There's, we, had it's one amazing. On, um, we had a workshop on Monday. And the feedback we got, I mean, every single person wrote to us afterwards. We have feedback testimonial sheets afterwards and we kind of get statistics and we ask them confidentially what they're all suffering from and the biggest thing is anxiety. Um, every single person in that workshop suffered with it. There wasn't one person that didn't write that confidentially on that on there. But you know, we had um, a friend of mine, a guy called Sasha, who was the first Burberry Black model years ago. And he kind of went through his own self journey and spoke about it and how meditation has really helped him. Um, and what I love about it, he's so relatable. Like you get any guy in the room and they'd be like, he is such a cool dude. As opposed to someone coming in and being like, well, this is what you should do. And you're like, well, you have no idea of what I feel, you know, you know, and that's what we want the be well to be is relatable. And then we had a social media influencer there and how meditation has really helped her. And she said, I might have not been a model, but I feel judged every day on social media, you know, and I feel this pressure and, you know, this is what's helped me. And then we actually had one of the most incredible meditation teachers. Um, actually, there's a lot with Gwyneth Paltrow and do this huge guided meditation. And everyone came out and they were like, I just felt such a shift in me. But it also allowed everybody to open up in a safe space to say, do you know what? I don't feel great. I don't feel myself. I worry about this. Do you worry about this? How are you working at the moment? Oh yeah, oh, it's really nice to meet you. You're from a completely different agency. What's your agency like? As opposed to just being in your own bubble and your own thoughts constantly and thinking everything's wrong with you. It allows these young kids to actually like speak to other people. Um, and that's just one of them. And every month is something completely different, whether it's health, whether it's nutrition, whether it's breath work techniques. And then, you know, in February before fashion week, which is when I felt like I suffered the most because I felt all this pressure coming on me and having to, you know, not eat properly and fly around the world and meet people that were just going to reject me to not be in their show and live in those horrible model apartments. You know, that's when we kind of get everybody together in the industry. So we get every model in the UK to come to this. We get every agent to come to this because at the same time, I've been with my agents for 15 years and I know what they go through in fashion week. They have pressure. You know, it's not just models that have pressure. The agents have pressure. And then it's the 
British Fashion Council, I mean, for them, Fashion Week's really intense. It's getting, because they endorse us, so it's getting them to come and helping them, and it's getting designers to come because they've got pressure. It's like everybody in this industry has pressure. But the biggest thing is why we started with models because they're so young and they're vulnerable, and it's working with the most vulnerable first. But, you know, you look at Alexandra McQueen, you look at Kate Spade, you know, don't say that's not pressure. You know, they're not here anymore, and that's devastating. And maybe if they had something that they could open up to or reach out to that actually got them, you know, that I'm not saying it could have saved them, but it could have helped. It could have helped. And that's what we're trying to explore at the moment is how can we best support everybody? Let's take away negatives. Let's take away laws. Let's take away all of that. Like, what can we just do to support you? Because surely that's the biggest thing that everybody just wants. And so I think that's what's the most important thing about the Be Well. And then through that, you know, I realised that not everybody can always be at our events, especially our big, big industry events. And not everyone can come to our monthly workshops that we host as a charity. So we've launched a big series online, which everyone can type into. And this is where it kind of goes beyond models. It goes to all the younger generation, you know, especially the younger generation, but also anyone. It's, it's open to everybody to watch. We have a massive series called Live Well, Be Well, where you can log into our website and you can look at people within the industry. So you could have somebody, a model, speaking about their experience, um, you know, or somebody like Gary Barlow speaking about his eating disorder um, and what he's gone through and how he's kind of come out the other side. And it's not that he doesn't suffer anymore or I don't suffer anymore with anxiety, but what I do is tools. And so it's a more of a relatable aspect and you can be anywhere in the world and you can watch these. And then we also have another side, which is experts. So we have eating disorder specialists on there, sleep experts, breath techniques, you know, anxiety experts. And if you're kind of in this place on your own and you're like, I can't sleep, I've got worries in my head, or I feel like I'm really, you know, struggling with stress, Maybe I'll just look on to Live Well, Be Well. Maybe there are some experts that I can just watch for 10 minutes to kind of give me some, you know, a little bit of a clarity on what, what I'm suffering with. And that's kind of what we want to offer as well is you haven't always got to be at our events. You can actually just log on and, and there will be a source. There will be some kind of educational source that you can actually turn to, which is what's really important because, as you know, with modelling, you're never in one place. So it's got to be reachable. Um, so that's what we kind of just hope to create is some kind of resource that just gives something that you can kind of feel that you're not alone. I think that's brilliant that it's it's the the experiences and the, and the physical events, but then yeah. also opening it up to people who can't access it and yeah. making it an accessible platform. To finish then, how can people support what you do? So how we can support you in so many ways. Um, it's something that I realised in starting a not-for-profit. It's um, you're constantly relying on fundraising and donations. You know, for this for the BWAL to keep going, you know, it's it's a it's a full-time job with a team that I have to have um, to organise all of these workshops and events. And you know, there's a donation link on our website if people want to donate. That's the biggest way that you know we can keep going but we also have fundraising events so i'm actually going to see if my team have replied back and told me the day of my fundraising oh yeah it is perfect there's so many different things we've got a sample sale on um december the 9th where we're asking all brands within the industry so people like ralph lauren and um you know like michael Kors and everyone is donating a lot of their samples to us and we then want to host a big sample sale so we know that the clothes aren't going to land waste but also people can buy the christmas presents for free well, not for free but for very cheap yeah for sample sales you have a big discount so you can get some really cool pieces and all of the profits go to the be wow and it kind of shows that the brands are taking initiative and you know but then we're also kind of giving you know it's kind of a full cycle of sustainability and then it goes into our charity and then we can offer mental health and physical well-being support so there's that on the 9th of december so you can go into our 
newsletter and sign up to come to that. Um, and then we have a boom cycle ride where we get everyone together um, on the 9th of January. So you can inquire through our website and you can come to that. And all you have to do is pay for a ticket that's actually less than a boom cycle class. Um, and all profits go to the Be Well. So there's so many different ways to support us through just general donations, through coming to fundraising events and initiatives. Um, and, you know, as you said, you know, there's a contact us page on our website. So we're always feel free to open to, to more kind of collaborations if anyone wants to collaborate with us. Um, but there's many ways. But as you said, we kind of can't work without donations. So that's really important to us as a not-for-profit. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that has inspired you on your journey? Is there anything that you've seen or watched that people can check out? I'm kind of still going on a bit of a self journey myself at the moment. We've just launched a BWR Collective book club. Being dyslexic myself, reading's never been the strongest strength I've had. It's always been quite difficult. Um, but I've really started getting back into my reading again and through getting a Kindle because that's helped me. And I've actually then wanted to launch a book club and get people to start reading again. Through the BWR Collective book club, it's everyone should speak to a therapist. And we've got that book online you can buy it through our website and there's a few other books that we have as well to do with mental well-being but that book to me just really opened up so many doors it's about a therapist talking about who she meets through her therapy and everyone has all their different lives and everyone has all their problems and some people just don't actually want to recognize their problem and they just keep going up against a wall and but you really realize that how every single person is on their own journey and she is on her own journey she's just gone through horrific heartbreak and she has to cry in between sessions and then go back to being trying to be really She's trying to on her own journey at the same time. And you never really see that from a therapist's point of view. You kind of think, oh, therapists have just got it down. But do you know what? You, you actually realise that they don't. And you kind of see her own journey. And it just takes you on this massive mix of emotions. And you kind of go, oh, my God. Everyone is, you know, in this kind of same sense that sometimes how I think I feel. And it kind of opens your eyes to go, oh my God, I actually feel, I kind of feel at peace with myself a bit more. Because I think, you know, it's again, being someone like a perfectionist or anything in that sense, you kind of think everyone else, as you look at social media, is having the best time of their lives. And so exploring those other people's journeys and opening your eyes and even seeing a therapist break down and like, she's going on her own self journey. I don't know, for me, it was something that kind of made me really open my eyes up and go like, wow, actually, it's life. Yeah, there's a powerful, it's true, there's realising that even the grown-ups are making it up as they go along. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, I feel like it's the experience of becoming an adult as well. And yeah, you know what it's I like mean? a long, in a windy real road. Sense, is and... that you realise, and there's a Buddhist fable as well about somebody suffering from bereavement and realising yeah. that and realising that actually everyone there was a, that. I mean, it's probably like, not going to find it now, but there was an amazing quote. I don't know, did you want to read this one out? Nothing is more desirable than to be released from an affliction, but nothing is more frightening than to be divested of a crutch. James Baldwin. I just found that quite, that quote quite strong. Yeah. And it kind of gives you that kind of that inner strength. Yeah. You yeah. know? How life isn't always, there's not always going to be that crutch to lean on, and mm -hmm. it's actually, I don't know, I, just, I find it, I just, that really hit me. It's kind of the, the first, some problems are nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. Just thought it was quite a nice quote. Yeah. Something that stayed with me. Yeah, it's a really beautiful quote. So yeah, I would say that's a good book. Mm -hmm. um, just to generally, yeah. Mm. For anyone's kind of 
wanting to open up their mind a little bit to, mm -hmm. to other Yeah, that's perfect. That's a great suggestion. Um, last question then. Um, thinking about the need for change, whether it's in the fashion industry or in any kind of walk of life, how can people help to bring about change and open up, be open for change? Do you know what the biggest thing about being open for change is PMA, which is positive mental attitude. So many people, and I see this within nutrition, I see this within fashion, I see this in young models, people want to change, but they're not really open to it, really. And they're like, oh, I want to do all this and I want to change and I want to be this, you know, I'm going to start going, I'm going to go on this really strict diet and I'm going to start eating really healthily. But I really, deep down, that's not what they really want to do. There's, there's something else that they want to change. There's something else that they haven't explored in their own life. And I think about and waking up and just thinking that, you know, not being grateful of things, not being grateful of life, not having a positive mental attitude, not being compassionate towards other people. I think like whenever you want to change something in your life, You've got to really kind of divulge into why it is you want to change. There's like, okay, so you want to have a healthy diet, but why is that? Is it just purely vanity or is it that you want to feel better? Um, you know, how has it affected you until now? There's so many ways about why somebody wants to change something. I think that's a big thing I see in my clinic because, you know, a large majority of diets fail and, you know, diet isn't a lifelong thing. Surely it should be a habitual change and a lifestyle change. And it's the same with modeling. If you want to kind of change your direction and your route and you're like, well, actually, I want to kind of work more towards this area in modeling, you know, okay, well, why and how will you get there? And it's about having a positive mental attitude. And it's not always like you're just going to wake up the next day and everything's going to change. Thing, life's a journey. And I think some people just want to pop a pill or, you know, get a new test shoot and think, oh, I'll get that job. Or now I've had a pill. Yeah, now, you know, I feel great. It's like, it's not that simple. And you can mask over a lot of things, but unless you have a positive mental attitude, gratitude and compassion in your life, you're not gonna, you're really not gonna make any change because there's a deeper underlining issue that kind of, you know, you kind of gotta work on yourself. And I think some people don't realize that so much of life and is a journey. You know, nutrition is a journey. Um, healthy lifestyle is a journey. It's not, you know, I don't wake up every day at six o'clock and go, oh, I wanna go and work out. But it starts becoming a habit and I get up and go, actually, Maybe I don't want to wake up. Maybe I want to meditate for 20 minutes a day. And I find meditation really hard. Maybe I want to meditate. And then I want to go and work out. Or I could just lie in bed. But it's about making those changes, what's right for you, and having that positive mental attitude, not because someone's told you to. Mm -hmm. It's about or from making... guilt. Or, or from like guilt, or from shame. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, self-acceptance is a massive thing. And then once you have that, making your changes in your life in a positive way about things that make you happy is what's really important. Um, so I'd say that anyone that wants to make changes in themselves, start journaling, start putting your thoughts down, start really realizing what's important to you as a person, what makes you happy, um, you know, what foods give you joy, okay, you might be on a diet, but does chocolate make you happy? Have a bit of chocolate. You know, that's not going to make you gain a pound overnight, it's not. You know, everything's about balance and it's about not being too restrictive in your lifestyle, too controlling in your lifestyle. And it's about a really big thing, especially that I've learned through the Be Well Collective and through listening to many different experts, is live in the present. Don't live in the past and don't live in the future. Like, so many people go through their daily lives and they don't grasp what is actually happening in this specific moment, in this specific time. When you're listening to this podcast, what's around you? What can you see? What can you smell? What can you taste? Like, how present are you right now in your own body? What are you thinking about what you're going to do when you get home? Are you got to cook for dinner? Are you worrying about an argument you've had? Are you worrying about work? Like how present are you right at this moment? And once you start working on that, 
that's when changes will come because you're going to be living in what you feel right now and I think that's the that's the biggest kind of thing that I've learned and mm. I would kind of say to anyone that wants to make change that's what that where they should start really yeah and not pressurize themselves absolutely the bigger picture is always through the sm actually the small things yeah that's a that's a brilliant answer thank you so much for joining me today Sarah thank you it's been a really good conversation oh it's been thank so you. nice thank you <laughs> Future Heist is recorded and produced by me, Rena Neve Smith, with original music by Benjamin Tassi, artwork by Fleur Burke, and sound editing by Jibran Farah. Special thanks to Chloe Vasegi and Joshua Lose Challenge. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at future underscore heist.